welcome to the inaugural MVP, or Mass Violence Podcast, the official podcast of the National Mass Violence and Victimization Resource Center. The NMVVRC is a joint project of the U.S. Department of Justice's Office for Victims of Crime and the Medical University of South Carolina. I'm Dan Smith, and I'm the Director of Resources and Technology for the NMVVRC, and my team and I are going to be bringing you a monthly series of interviews with scientists, therapists, victim advocates, crime victims, community leaders, and others who have all been affected by some type of mass violence incident. And they'll be sharing their insights, experiences, wisdom, and sometimes some rather emotional stories with us as we try to get a better handle on what mass violence is, why it happens, how it affects people, and what individuals and communities can do to prepare for and respond to mass violence incidents, and to help understand how individuals and communities recover from mass violence incidents. In this, our first podcast, we'll be talking to the director of the NMVVRC, my boss, Dr. Dean Kilpatrick. You might not know who Dean is, but if you don't, that probably means that you're not an expert in trauma and traumatic stress, because I think it's pretty fair to say that when it comes to understanding and responding to different types of violence and trauma, Dean is one of the world's leading experts. He's Distinguished University Professor in the Medical University of South Carolina's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. He's the Director of the National Crime Victims Research and Treatment Center, and as I mentioned, the Director of the NMVVRC. Welcome, Dean. Thank you for the generous introduction. You're welcome. I will be bringing that up in my contract negotiations this coming year. Um, So I guess I just kind of wanted to start with... uh, sort of the idea for the National Mass Violence and Victimization Resource Center. Where did that idea come from? Well, I guess it <clears throat> sprung from the uh, brain of the Office for Victims of Crime uh, due to the fact that there have been an increased number of mass violence incidents. They have gotten all kinds of publicity. It's clear that um, the victims and survivors of these events have long-term effects in mental health needs as well as short-term needs and that communities are not as prepared as they should be for these. And so the Office for Victims of Crime decided that there really needed to be some kind of national resource center that would pull together information and resources uh, to make it available to those uh, victims and survivors themselves, but also to those who serve them. So you mentioned a mass violence incident, and um, I know enough to know that the definition of mass violence is sort of, it sounds kind of commonsensical, but if you drill it down to the details, it gets kind of complicated. For purposes of the National Center, what counts as mass violence? Well, what counts as mass violence is it's um, not, you know, one person um, injuring or killing another person. It's basically situations in which multiple people are killed or injured. Uh, As uh, you uh, alluded to, the nuances of of the definitions are, frankly, one of the problems of the field because what um, the Office for Victims of Crime is primarily interested in due to legislation is typically where more than uh, one person is killed, but it has to be a person who is uh, 
he was kind of a civilian uh, in the sense of uh, if, if you go kill your family, that typically is not classified as mass violence. If you Even if you kill multiple family members? Well, no. no. I mean, but if you happen to kill some civilians trying to get at your um, at your family members, then that would count. There are di- different definitions also in terms mm-hmm. of the number of people who are killed. Gang violence, for example, does not count either. Um, and I, we think that one reason for some of these different definitions is that uh, basically uh, uh, criminal profilers who are trying to understand why people commit mass violence see a difference between someone who, due to hate or terrorism or something like that, goes out and kills people versus, uh, you know, killing your family members or rival gang members. I see. Okay. Uh, one of the one of the things that just always sort of makes my head spin a little bit is, I mean, certainly everyone remembers the the Boston Marathon bombing. And I think you'd have to be sort of a, a very strange duck to think that that was not a mass violence incident. But am I correct in, in thinking that, at least according to one of the federal def- definitions of mass violence, that the Boston Marathon bombing wouldn't count? Well, one of the definitions says that there have to be um, four or more people killed. Uh, there were only three people killed in the mass violence, uh, I mean, in the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm-hmm. So it wound up uh, being that you could classify that, that as not a mass violence incident, but, but actually everybody did, and, right. and including the Office for Victims of Crime. Okay. I, it's just one of those things where definitions, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's reasons for them and that they're helpful, but sometimes they do definitely make you scratch your head. Uh, Dean, another thing you uh, referenced earlier was that uh, mass violence incidents are becoming increasingly common and getting a lot of notoriety. And uh, one of those incidents actually happened here in Charleston down the road uh, at the Mother Emanuel Church. And I know that uh, you and our center received a grant from the Office for Victims of Crime to help support the families uh, of the victims who were affected at the Mother Emanuel Church. Uh, Did did that experience provide any lessons uh, that helped prepare you for moving from a local resource center to being a national resource center? Um, Absolutely. In in fact, uh, when that uh, when the Mother Emanuel massacre happened, we had people from our center, uh, meaning the Crime Victim Center, mm-hmm. uh, there. The next morning, uh, we actually uh, had phone calls um, uh, uh, going past each other from the the FBI Victim Assistance Program. Um, who were familiar with us and our work and, and called us at the same time we were trying to call them. So so literally uh, a couple of people from our center were there the morning after the, the shooting happened at night. So why that, um, I think, uh, influenced uh, our deciding to apply for this grant for the National Center was that we got a chance to observe up close and personal the devastating impact uh, that this had on family members, um, as as well as uh, the people who survived the incident themselves, we got to see that even when you're in a in a town that has extraordinarily uh, extraordinary leadership from uh, the mayor, from law enforcement uh, at the state level, and everything else, 
the continuing problems that have. And we also got to see what it's like to put together a grant. There were nine other uh, partner agencies on that grant in addition to us. But when we tried to pull all that together and provide the Office for Victims of Crime with the information they needed, we discovered that there was a lot of uh, difficulty in terms of getting that type of information, even when we were as, as mental health professionals who dealt with homicide surviving family members previously, even though we knew all this, uh, it highlighted uh, the gaps in information that would make it easy for easier for a community to uh, try to get some help after a major event. Gotcha. So you mentioned that you, in, in the Char- Mother Emanuel uh, grant, had nine community partners. I, I, nine's a lot. I don't expect you to remember all of them, but who were who were some of the folks that we partnered with for that? Well, some of the the most important, I would say, was the church itself because it was sure. a, a clear hate crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church was to, um, declared by the Office for Victims of Crime to be a victim. So all of the congregation was, uh, because it happened in the church itself, the church leadership was wiped out. And, and so... The church um, was one of the recipients of, of this grant, as well as the um, Charleston County uh, Police Department, the prosecutor's office here, the coroner's office, um, and several uh, the the Ber- Charleston Berkeley County Mental Health Center, gotcha. another mental health center, and so it's a large cast of sure. Characters. I mean, and I think that's very illustrative of the kind of community responsiveness that needs to happen when a large-scale incident affects a city. I mean, Charleston is not the biggest city in the country uh, or anything like that, but it's a, it's a decent-sized town, and all of those agencies kind of have to be rowing in the right direction right. to provide an efficient response. And, and what I would say about that as well is that we benefited greatly when that happened because our uh, center, not the Mass Violence Center, but the Crime Victim Center, has uh, a long tradition of uh, not just talking to other academics and mental health professionals, but but actually getting engaged with the victim assistance professionals uh, uh, around and others who serve crime victims. So we actually knew and people knew us and we had good working relationships with people. So unlike many states where there's a lot of uh, turf battles that go on and and you're trying to figure out who people are when it starts, we had the benefit of having a lot of contacts and a lot of prior uh, good working relationships with a lot of these agencies. That obviously informed us when we found out from the Office for Victims of Crime that they were going to stand up a national center for the reasons that I mentioned right. before. That actually helped us a lot because uh, there was a very short lead time on preparing this application. And because of our personal experience with the Mother uh, Emanuel uh, project and seeing what happened and working with, with lots of people both at the state level and nationally, uh, we, we really knew what some of the issues were in terms of, of 
planning, uh, responding, and then in particular the the long term response and uh, long term response and trying to facilitate recovery. Gotcha. Uh, welcome again to the National Mass Violence Podcast. This is our inaugural podcast. We're talking with the director of the National Mass Violence and Victimization Resource Center, Dr. Dean Kilpatrick, about the origins of the NMVVRC. And Dean, I guess the the next thing I'm curious about is so. You got the grant. You got this rather large uh, cooperative agreement with the United States Department of Justice. Uh, What are the goals of this project? What is the NMVVRC supposed to be doing? Well, it's a modest goal, um, which is not really the case, as you will soon see. But what we're really trying to do is to improve the way the nation uh, plans for and responds to incidents of mass violence so that every victim, every survivor, no matter where they are, has access to first-rate evidence-based services and information. So, um, I mean, you know, Achieving world peace uh, was already taken, <laughs> so we decided that this was slightly less ambitious. Gotcha. But nonetheless, it, it's an aspirational goal. We don't think it's going to be easy. But the real goal is is to is to, um, to accomplish that that goal by um, getting really good information together, uh, building coalitions with uh, with key partners who really. Um, are at the table and need to be more victim-centric in terms of how they go about uh, their planning and response. And then also um, developing the kinds of services that victims and survivors need and trying to figure out innovative uh, uh, technology-driven, mm-hmm. in some cases, ways of, of making that happen. Okay. I When I think of you, I think of you, sort of your strength as a researcher. Is there much of a uh, data-gathering, data-interpretive effort that, that's part of the NMVVRC? Uh, there, there definitely is, and that, that was an important part of the way that we went about preparing this application. We said, look, we know a lot. We've actually done uh, a fair amount of research ourselves on some past uh, uh, mass violence uh, incidents, including um, the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York, as well as the uh, Pan, Pan Am 103 uh, terrorist bombing over Lockerbie, Scotland. So it's not that we didn't know something about this, but we knew enough to know that because of some of these different definitions, People sometimes focus on shootings and not other kinds of things. And so there was a need to get additional information about not only how individuals who are, who are affected by these things, uh, what kind of problems they have, but that mass violence has ripple effects on entire communities. And one of the interesting things about that, there was a poll that was out recently by Gallup that indicated that 48% of a national sample of adults in uh, the United States indicated that they they were either uh, very worried or somewhat worried that they or a member of their family would be a mass violence victim. Wow. So 48%. Now, Mm -hmm. in truth, even though there's much more mass violence than than we would like there to be, which would be zero, mm-hmm. but there's also um, 
ripple effects and whatnot. But but your your odds of of getting killed in a mass violence attack is is actually pretty low. Right. So part of what we do at the center is to try to put things in perspective. But knowing that that forty eight percent is telling you that you know that there are huge ripple effects. People are frightened. Yeah. They absolutely are. I mean, where can you go to be safe? Where do you think you can go to be safe? Can you go to church? No. Nope. Can you go to the movies? No. Particularly not today, which is the opening of right, the that, uh, yes. of the uh, Joker movie. Uh, you can't uh, go to school. Uh, you can't go to elementary school, mm-hmm. uh, middle school, uh, high school, or college. Uh, you can't go to a restaurant. You can't go to a bar. You can't go anywhere. And so these things happen in all kinds of different situations. And so uh, people are just very worried about it. Of course, they've been happening in workplaces for a long time with a sort of infamous disgruntled employee right. kind of situations as well. Okay. So, so Dean, that's, um, that gives a, a good picture of, of what the NMVVRC is trying to do. Who are some of the main groups of people that will most directly benefit from what the NMVVRC is doing? Well, um, we have not been narrow in our focus, it would be fair to say, because, I mean, one of the things we're doing is we're saying that uh, there, there need to be strategic partners who influence the way that mass violence incidents are planned for, the way they're responded to, and the way that they work together, hopefully, uh, to mitigate and and help people be resilient and recover from these things when they happen. So we have lots of partners. One of our partners is um, there are a couple of universities, including the the School of Public Health at um, Boston University, I mean, that are renowned for doing all kinds of um, innovative research and other types of things. We have the uh, we have the American Hospital Association. We have uh, the National Governors Association. We have the National Association of Attorneys General, the attorney generals of all the states. We have the U.S. Conference of Mayors, because mayors are city leaders who are very involved in things going well. And I I have to say that uh, one of our consultants on this grant um, is is, uh, former Charleston Mayor Joe Riley, who was instrumental in dealing with several large things, right. including Mother Emanuel. He knows a thing or two. Um, we have also um, another uh, a number of subject matter experts. But back to you know who are we trying to help? One of the things we're trying to do is to influence some of these uh, these uh, uh, national uh, non governmental organizations of of mayors, of of uh, chiefs of police, of of, of other kinds of, of groups that really we think if we find out what they need to know, what they want to know, how they can be more victim-centric as mm-hmm. they approach that. So that's one group we're trying to reach. To really help them prepare their communities. Right. And, and I mean, so they'll have the best information possible and and will know that, for example, we exist and can help them out when if they need to do planning and other kinds of things. Okay. Um, Another group that we're looking um, to try to help is obviously the victims and survivors and their family members uh, because they they have lots of needs. They need information. They need help figuring out what to do. They need to know how to get in contact with groups that can help them. 
we're working with crime victims compensation agencies. We're working with uh, people who give grants to, in the crime victims area in all the states. Where we have uh, working relationships with them to try to inform them about what victim needs are and how they can meet them better. And um, and and then there are academics. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not our primary mission, but we hope to produce, uh, and we will, and we're in the process of doing it, to produce new research that basically uh, uh, tells us more, uh, not just about general effects for general victims, but are there? Can we learn more about what are protective factors? What are um, risk factors mm-hmm. that will enable us to get more? specialized uh, information and care to to these victims and their family members. Okay, great. Uh, You're listening to the inaugural MVP, a mass violence podcast. We're talking with the director of the National Mass Violence Victimization and Resource Center, uh, Dr. Dean Kilpatrick. And uh, I've asked a few questions, Dean, about the National Mass Violence Center. Um, But I wanted to ask some questions maybe more about you and your background and how this all started for you. Um, so you, you've got this rather large grant from OVC. I, I, I had an opportunity to, to look at your CV not too long ago, and I think you've got more than 270 peer-reviewed publications. I think it's fair to say that you're a pretty big deal as an academic clinical psychologist, but I'm curious about what got you started in this field, in, in crime victim uh, science, if you will. Because I know that when you started your career, there were very few people within clinical psychology who actually paid much attention to rape, who actually paid much attention to violence and the effects of crime on, on mental health. What what drew you to that well, particular some area? Well, some might argue that that's still the case. Well, but, uh, fair um, enough. But um, what, what really <clears throat> got me involved was that a colleague uh, who I worked with um, in invited me to go to a uh, public, um, I guess, informational session um, about the topic of rape. And it actually came from the National Organization for Women, uh, who had done consciousness-raising groups uh, in the 60s um, and 70s, and had found that the level of uh, violence against women that people were talking about, which included rape and, and uh, intimate partner violence, was just astonishing, and that this was creating a large problem in their lives. So um, it was decided to have, uh, you know, kind of public educational things to try to uh, highlight the importance of the topic and then see if people would be willing to get involved and do something about it. So I attended one of these sessions and heard um, about the situation in Charleston, which was pretty bad. There was a, I, I remember there was a mother there who lived in Columbia, South Carolina, but was down in Charleston with her 12-year-old daughter who was raped in broad daylight um, in one of the parks here in town oh on a goodness. Saturday morning. And, on a, and, um, and talked about the abysmal experiences they'd had with law enforcement who weren't informed, didn't know anything about it and uh, going through the medical system and the legal system and everything, and it was as bad as it could be. Well, anyway, it was so compelling that um, a few hotheads, uh, including, um, I guess there were about six or seven women and me, 
uh, uh, being a white male uh, professional uh, at the time was not considered to be, didn't put you at the high point of the hierarchy uh, for good things. But I, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was literally something that, that in a very emotional way, uh, uh, I just said, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we need to do better than this. And that's really the motivation that everybody had. And so, mm-hmm. uh, long story short, we had a um, you know series of meetings, and uh, the first rape crisis center in South Carolina, People Against Rape, which is still in existence here in Charleston, uh, emerged from that in 1974. Now, I would like to say that uh, I got my PhD when I was six, um, and because uh, it makes me pretty old to be involved with anything that started in 1974. I was nine, um, so. <laughs> At any rate, uh, and then out of that came uh, looking around for, uh, you know, my scientific background. Well, okay, we're going to train volunteer counselor advocates. Um, so what's the literature tell us about what are the problems that are associated with rape? What does the literature tell us about what victims' concerns are? And the literature told us absolutely nothing because mm-hmm. it didn't exist. And so actually a, a group of us um, um, who had some you know, scientific training decided that we wanted to do research. We got a large uh, National Institute of Mental Health grant and and proceeded to do studies developed uh, uh, treatments and then and then found out about the long-term problems and one thing led to another mm-hmm. and uh, our center got formed in 1977 the, the crime victim center and um, and and so that we always there said we we want to do four things I mean one of them is to provide direct clinical services to people who need informed mental health services to to trauma victims. Secondly, we thought that teaching was pretty important. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to, uh, you know, train people and teach, you know, postdocs, clinical psych interns and other folks about the mental health treatments and, and the mental health problems. The third thing we wanted to do was research because, I mean, we didn't know enough and we still don't know enough. Mm-hmm. So we're still doing the research, mm-hmm. including a, about mass violence. But the fourth thing was is that it sort of occurred to me one day uh, when when a colleague and I were complaining about nobody paid any attention to our, our stuff and the public policymakers made kind of dumb decisions and why didn't they do better? And it occurred to us that they probably don't read scientific journals, and if they did, they wouldn't understand them. And so it was incumbent upon us to translate, um, you know, our research into under in, into messages that your grandmother could understand mm-hmm. in the elevator, mm-hmm. um, so that uh, you'd have some chance of impacting uh, public policy and having people make better decisions because they have access to data. Cool. Um, that that's I, I knew some of that, but I didn't know all of it. That's that's a, a very uh, interesting background for that. Well, actually, it's it it it, it it's very um, it's it's also very interesting how how things work out. But um, the um, one of the uh, the the person who actually was uh, head of the now chapter in Charleston who put that first meeting together about rape um, actually now works for you, Dr. Almadel Smith, so. <laughs> wow, that's uh, circles within circles there. That's that's pretty cool. Um, so 
one more thing I want to ask you about. Um, fast forward, if you will, two or three years, um, looking you know into the future. How will you know that the NMVVRC has actually been a success? How should the impact of the center be measured and recognized, um, both by, of course, funding agencies and, and by the, the larger community of people who are affected by mass violence? Well, I think that um, our mission is so grandiose that um, it will be difficult to accomplish that goal because it's, it's not even a stretch goal, it's an aspirational <laughs> goal. But I think how we will know that we're, we're, we'll, we will be a success if we make a dent in this problem. Uh, it is not our job to prevent mass violence. Uh, and I'm glad of that, right. I, you know, because I don't think anybody really knows how to do it exactly. But if victims are getting, more victims are getting better information, uh, I mean, I know that a part of what we're doing that you're involved with is, is our website. Mm -hmm. Um, which is pretty comprehensive, and I would invite uh, anybody to take a look at it because I, if you can't find something of interest and relevance, then um, I right. don't know what to say. And you can learn more about that at uh, nmvvrc.org. And we're also um, inventing some or, or developing some self-help things for victims and survivors, uh, including a uh, self-help uh, app that will probably be out in a couple of months. And so if people are using that, I think that will be helpful. And then if we're making some progress in terms of, of getting this information to some of the, the leaders and, and uh, in, in criminal justice, politics, other kinds of areas, mental health, so that they're integrating uh, these materials in terms of their training of their uh, constituents and paying more attention to it and making just, you know plans, statewide plans that include more than just law enforcement, for example, gotcha. uh, so that they, they know that having victim advocates so that they think about the victim's needs as they're putting their plans together, that will be another sign. Mm -hmm. And then I guess if people are just better informed, I mean, I would like to say that we should not, we don't want to trivialize the problem of mass violence. Mm -hmm. But what we do want to do is we want to put it in perspective. And so if half the people are not doing things uh, because they're afraid they're going to get killed or injured by a mass violence incident, then... Um, we need to help them put that in proper perspective and at the same time say that when one of these these incidents does happen it changes people's lives forever and so anytime another mass violence thing happens for example they will um, you know it will stir up a lot of things with mm -hmm. them so we need to do two things at the at the same time one of which is to put things in perspective with respect to your risk of being a victim. The other is to put things in perspective uh, so that people know that folks don't get over this in you know a couple of weeks or a mm -hmm. couple of months or a couple of years or in some cases a couple of decades. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Those seem like great goals. I mean, my last question for you, um, why is the name of this center so darn long? Um, <laughs> Um, I should. You're not supposed to say no comment, but um, it, it's been said that um, um, 
you know, uh, a camel as a horse that was designed by a committee. Well, uh, this name um, was kind of designed by a committee, and there were some people who loved a lot of the individual words there. And so even though we know that it's a mouthful, um, it's... um, it it's the name it we've yes, got. It's the name we've got. Absolutely. Um, no one actually thinks it, it trips off the tongue. Dean, I want to thank you very much for making time out of your busy schedule to, to be our first guest on the MVP, uh, the Mass Violence Podcast. Um, thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back with future editions where we focus on other aspects of mass violence and, and readiness, resilience, and response. Thanks. Well, thank you. <laughs>